Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Anne Marie Lockhart. You are listening to Vox Poetica's 15 Minutes of Poetry, coming to you pre recorded live from Columbia, South Carolina. Cassie Primo Steele, co creating studio. Hey, Cassie. Hi, Anne Marie. I'm so happy that you can be here today with us. Well, I am happy to be here too, and our readers are going to be particularly happy when they hear. Um, just get a little taste of what goes on here in a, in a normal um, session. Uh, Cassie, tell us about your group. The women gathered here today are in my Right to Ignite Your Life class, which is currently on hiatus for April as I do the book tour, but will begin again in May, June, and July. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1, and we do a combination of poetry reading, writing, meditation, and um, the title is Write to Ignite Your Life because we are using writing to set ourselves on fire and find that passion that gives us our purpose. So that those are the voices of the class that you'll hear today. And this is really one of the uh, first official kickoffs for the um, Pomegranate Papers book tour. So the Pomegranate Papers goes live tomorrow and has been in kind of a pre-sale, pre, uh, pre-party mode, um, which has been a lot of fun. And this is, this is an event that kind of goes along with that. You're going to be leaving on your tour. Well, you're going to be having other things in your tour. Some of them are local and some of them are not. But the whole thing is about to set off for about a month. That's right. And um, so you'll be, uh, all the readers will get to hear, readers and listeners will get to hear more good things about the Pomegranate Papers and the experience of taking that book out into the world. Look for more information on Facebook. So let's get right to the uh, workshop environment and you can all participate um, in your own way, react as you uh, hopefully will find inspiration with this group, um, listen to what they have to say in, in response to some of the poems in the Pomegranate Papers, Cassie's new book. Everything is Art was written during a time when I was really depressed. And I think it was one of the earliest poems, probably when I was a stepmother, but not yet a mother. It's on page 110, and I'll go ahead and read it. Everything is Art my life has taught me, even goblins, even trees, even bleeding tongues and dirty knees. Everything sings its song until we learn it, cry it out in castle lullabies, like my thumbs pressed hard upon my eyes and the patterns that it makes. It is a painting. There are colors, fear, and time, captivity, and freedom. It is the combination of pain and singing that make a decoration. Everything is art. And the two memories that I have about the time of writing this poem is really that image of like going like this, that feeling of I'm so inside the dark and then the word time like just knowing if I could hold on that things would change that life was a pattern and that when you're in that darkness all you need to do is hold on and um, there was a January when I found that I couldn't write and I took a big yellow legal pad and I recopied old poems of mine from old journals because I was so desiring to feel my hand across the page, but nothing was coming. It was all 
darkness and silence. And doing that one day, sitting in the same chair that I would later breastfeed my daughter, I got a phone call from a poet in town, and he asked me if I would lead a poetry reading. And and it was in that moment I thought, there's the time. Like, I waited. I'm going to be okay. And I remember that year taking off because it was only January, and it seemed like it was going to be so long, but really, in that phone call, the winter ended. Mm-hmm. Everything was going to be all right. And I think both mothering and writing in the creative process, those all have that same thing in that there are seasons. There are seasons of real struggle where, you know, you and the kid are just, you know, looking at each other like, really? (laughs) The new age people think we chose this? (laughs) Or, you know, you haven't talked to your husband in how many months? Or the poems aren't coming? Or you feel like you're trying and you're getting rejected for the kind of creativity you want to do. And it's just that that letting go into the weight of time. The weight, like in terms of the heaviness, but just, just kind of waiting. Because it do, every single one of these poems came from a place of not being in the world. Not saying, here's Casio Primo Steele, the award-winning poet, you know, but in the journal and saying, here's where I am right now. And there, I kind of let go of the idea of what would come. Anne-Marie and I have talked about that, how important it is, and I think it's true in mothering and in creativity, to let go of what the outcome is. Really, everybody right now can picture a mother who didn't let go of a grown kid and how hard that was on the kid to feel not let go of. I think just just the use of the concept of everything, there is a wide open arm embrace for whatever comes. Yeah. That I think a lot of times we want to define art narrowly. Mm-hmm. We want to define creativity narrowly. We want to define motherhood narrowly. Mm-hmm. And and that's just, if you've only got this much room to success, but for mm-hmm. success, there's a whole bunch of room for what you're going to start calling failure. Mm-hmm. Which really, those are just words. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and you can, and and you you sit in that place where you're alone and say you're succeeding or failing, mm-hmm. when really, you know, bleeding tongues and dirty knees mm-hmm. are art too. You know, and the song, where the pain and the singing come together, you know, where these places touch, mm-hmm. um, it is um, embraceable too. Back in the day, it was not whether it was good or bad weren't a great mother or a poor mother, you just were a mother. Mm-hmm. And it encompassed everything within that. And now it seems like there's so much pressure to be great, a great everything, a great wife, a great student, a great daughter, mother, whatever, friend. There's just no average or just being. And the being is so important. Just That's where we grow the most, I think. We all feel this pressure now, right? So everyone's got to make it look pretty in the outside. And then, no one, again, everyone wants to talk about what it feels like to wait mm-hmm. or to sit through pain. Because on the other side of both of those things is something bigger mm-hmm. and open. And, you know, there's room for happiness, 
creativity, uh, perspective. Perspective, God, we don't get that so easy, do we? You know, all of that comes from that, those two places. So much, you know, I'm reading this, this the poems in here about pregnancy, mm-hmm. all about anticipation and waiting. Mm-hmm. I'm reading, you know, the one that I just came across, Exile. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's all the same thing. And we, we get so fixated on the outcome that, you know, that mm-hmm. waiting is preparation, mm-hmm. but we don't always know what for. We don't know mm-hmm. what the purpose of that, that, that time is. Mm-hmm. It's not just the changing of your body, changing of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember sitting on the floor with this child here. She was crying. She was inconsolable. I was crying. I didn't know what, I did not know what to do. We just sat on the floor and I held her as well. I guess this is it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> try everything they tell me to try, and you don't seem happy, and God knows I'm not happy. And you know, Well, it didn't last forever. We're, we're not still doing yeah. that. That's yeah. good news. But Thank God for floors. How I remember having a really bad day with Lily when she's about one, and we just went to the kitchen, got out some ice cream, and sat on the floor of the kitchen and just ate ice cream out of the thing. <laughs> And the phone rang, and it was an editor who wanted to publish one of my essays. And she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, you don't want to know. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that's changed in terms of motherhood now, and and even daughterhood, Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of multi-generational living. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So we are a mom and a new baby sitting alone. Yeah. And and no nanas. You know, no, gra- no grandmas, no younger, you know, there's no, no we've not seen the model for, you know what, you strap that thing on and walk laps or whatever, and I was, I was looking at there is a room, because I think one of the things that starts to happen, at least in my experience, is you start having to figure out the definition of yourself, and there's no, you haven't really looked at anybody else, so, and when you go out of the house, you're supposed to look really good when you go to Target with your cute, <laughs> cute baby and the protective thing that you got on eBay from the, the padded thing in your stroller so that it doesn't get any germs or bump their face in any way. And, you know, it, it's, it's this ritual of appropriate presentation right. to the world, and everybody looks like that. If you go to Target, I guarantee you, you yes. look at 9.30 on any weekday morning, you'll yeah. see moms with their kids in the appropriate buggy mm-hmm. pushing themselves around. But, you know, this says... Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Full makeup. And, and then this, this line, I have always been and always will be myself. You know, coming to terms with that, with the evolving self, mm-hmm. but that it's still, it's okay to be who you are in the mm-hmm. picture. So not only is it, you don't have to be your grandmother, although mm-hmm. her image would probably have helped in terms of having mm-hmm. some idea, mm-hmm. that it's normal. It's normal to sit on the floor mm-hmm. with your baby and cry. Mm-hmm. It's also normal right. for, for you to cry when they laugh. Mm-hmm. And it's normal for you to fall asleep with your baby all <laughs> over your chest because you were nursing and you both fell asleep. And so you're drooling and they're drooling and it's all over you. And you wake up and, it, and you're like, oh gosh, look what happened. But it's Nobody normal. Does. Everybody right. has done that, but you've never seen it. Well, and then identity, too, that happens only in motherhood. And, and whatever that motherhood might be, have to be the physical act, but how, I don't know, you know, I didn't really know how to defend myself until I had to defend my child. For me, it wasn't um, a transformation into toughness, it was actually a transformation into self-care. I remember how different eating was when I was pregnant. 
that it never occurred to me that when I was eating, I was nurturing a living being. And that living being had, for 30 years, been me. <laughs> and that what, how I took care of myself mattered. Like I would be healthy or not healthy, depending on what I did for myself each day. And that was such a gift. Um, and And I think that's, I think a lot of women don't make that connection between care for the other and care for themselves. Even, you know, to extend that um, to all of us, I mean, we mm -hmm. are, as females, we are really called to care for each other mm -hmm. that way, too. We mother each other, we sister mm -hmm. each other, we be daughters mm -hmm. to each other, and um, I, don't, I don't know if that's what you were talking about in Summer Solstice. But there's so much of the earth mm -hmm. in this poem, too. Not only am I a steward of my body, but the earth body mm -hmm. is such a reflection, you know, of of the kind of health I can expect mm -hmm. from myself. And looking back, you know, this is taking shards from my childhood, you know, remembering we don't get to choose necessarily how we were cared for or not in childhood, but we can pick that up and then choose to care for ourselves. When I came to this book, when I came to Kathy, it was such a dark period in my life because I'm making my way as a, as a full-time writer, and I didn't really know what that meant or what that looked like. And in my community here in Columbia, it was kind of a dark scene. Mm. And I was just so empty like I didn't know what to do because I wasn't being fed I was starving and I was like really trying to like dig my fingers into this darkness and make it work and it was working but it was also taking this huge toll on me mm -hmm. and I read this poem it's like oh okay <laughs> because it was sort of like a revelation it's like art doesn't have to be about the underbelly of the mm -hmm. world you know that's not what it is and this whole idea that we need pain and, and all of the struggle to survive and produce is bullshit. I mean, yeah, we use it when we get it, but we don't need it. That's like you're just putting manure on plants, but you're not taking care of them. You know, it's just you're going to over-fertilize them and they're going to die. So it was like, I need something else. Like, I was a junkie. I was just fiending for light. And I remember coming to these classes, I almost didn't know what to do the first couple of months because I was like, everybody's so happy. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like meditating and there was incense. I was like, I don't really know how I feel about all of this. Like, I was used to being in like a bar that smelled like beer and urine and I was like, and this place is like so well lit and it's like chicken paintings on the wall and I'm like... I don't know what I've gotten myself into, and, like, everyone's really friendly, and I was like, oh, God, like, I was so uncomfortable because they were making me face myself, you know, I'm not really, like, and I remember Kathy asking, Kathy's like, how did that work for you? I was like, that meditation got a little touchy-feely for me, because it's like, go to your inner self. I'm like, I need to stay very far away from my inner self right now, like, we're seeing other people, like, we're on a break. <laughs> but once I kind of gave up the idea of having to be this type of poet yeah. and just figured out that I was really having fun and enjoying mm -hmm. myself and being silly, 
as I came to a whole new level of my writing, and my writing started to be really cheerful and funny and playful, and the response it got was so much more than what it had ever gotten before, and I was finally, like, lifted out of this darkness into this light and going, this is okay. Like, I can be seen. And I think part of being in the darkness is sometimes I just didn't want to be seen. Mm. I didn't want to. Like, I had such a big voice, but I didn't really mm. want it to be connected to who I was mm. as a person. So it's a really big, long story to say that, yeah, there are some parts in this book that make me uncomfortable because they make me go, oh, God, am I not, like, fulfilling my potential as a woman because mm-hmm. the idea of being pregnant, like, absolutely disgusts me, actually. <laughs> I mean, I love pregnant people. I'm like, you're so awesome, you're big, and there's a fist, you know, that's cool. You look like an alien, and I love it. But for me, I'm going, I don't know if that's a weight that I want. You know, so much more. I mean, and to me, that's a really deep statement because it's just like, there's that's a lot of weight. What I love about Jess Meyer's photograph mm. of the pomegranate is how many seeds there are. This is mm. not really about the children you bring into the world. We have so many seeds to plant. And to think that each one of these becomes a tree, you know, that those trees are us. That's who we are as creative human beings. And there is, there's so much pressure about the mythology of motherhood. Another aspect of that is, as I've been interviewed about this book, people will say, what does your daughter think of your poetry? What does your daughter think of you being a poet? And I always have to answer by saying, my stepdaughter and my daughter have very different perspectives about me as a poet and a mother. And for... 11 years I knew my stepdaughter and I was in a mothering relationship with her and yet that never counted. There was no party for it. There was no ritual. But everything I am as a mother is due to her because she taught me how to do it without the expectation that this came from your body therefore you can control everything. So it was really... A lesson in creativity too that what you write what you create is like a stepchild to you and that you are there to nurture it you live together but there's no obligation that they have to love you back you have to come from a place of mutual respect first um, and and it's funny because I, I had a girlfriend who really would say you know you've been kind of gypped by being a stepmother you know, you Miley owes you something, you know, after all of this that you sacrificed in order to, you know, be here for Laura. And I never for one second felt it like that. I always felt like her presence in my life was a gift and a blessing to me. And so what the reason I'm telling that story is that not giving birth is a gift and a blessing. Do you see what I'm saying? Whatever you choose, whether you end up being a stepmother, a woman who's a writer, a woman who gives birth, a woman who has miscarriages and abortion and just learns to bless your own body, all of that is is what it means to make meaning of your life in a woman's body. And we, we hold up this ideal, this myth of what it's going to be like and it's never like that. It's always a different story. It's always much more intimate and 
and with all that waiting in it and not knowing how it's going to turn out. Let me read um, the poem, A Woman in Her 30s, because I think that um, there's a, a switch that happens right around the age of 40 where what I'm about to read kind of ends and, and you flip to the other side. A Woman in Her 30s is a book half open. Her arms are the up-facing pages. They say, hug me or shut. The leaves of her life fold under her face, layers of snake skin she has shed. Each tells a story of a different self, completely separate. She knows who she was as little as she knows who she will be. Both are vague characters in her dreams. She goes over and over the words in front of her, searching for a clue to duration. Sometimes she imagines she has written this book. Then her spine crackles with life. Most days she admits that the author is another who has peeled back the covers, inserted letters, cut out some parts with a knife. And I think that the peeled back the covers, inserted letters, cut out some parts with a knife, in the first half of life you feel so done and wounded and somehow um, worked upon by whatever you've survived in your girlhood and then around the age of 40 that flips and you realize that each of those places is the pattern that makes a decoration. You no longer want to fix it or even feel sad or wounded about what you used to think of as missing or different, suddenly everything becomes a whole. And there's no who will I be. You just, in your head, look around and you realize, this is it. (laughs) This is what I was waiting for. This is what it feels like to love myself. And it's not that every day is easy. It's not that every day you even want to get out of bed. <laughs> or have anything in your closet you would even consider. <laughs> yeah. But you let go of the struggle. Um, we should probably close pretty soon. And one of the things that I like to do in my workshops at the end is to write a group poem by having each person say one word that kind of um, captures the essence of the day for them. So we'll take a minute to think about our word, and then we'll go. Well, I'll start, and my word is two words, but really one. (laughs) Women friends.